What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Dynamic Duel Podcast, a weekly show where we review superhero films and debate the superiority between Marvel and DC by comparing their characters in stat-based battle simulations. I'm Johnny DC. And I'm his twin brother, Marvelous Joe. And this episode, we're getting back to doing a duel. I feel like it's been a while since we've done a duel. I think it was like Ragdoll versus the Blob. In this episode, we are pitting Madame Rouge of the Brotherhood of Evil against Mystique of the Brotherhood of Mutants. Yeah, one's a Doom Patrol villain, one's an X-Men villain, and this episode is in lead-up to our next Team Duel episode, which will be the Flash Rogues versus the Brotherhood of Mutants. That's just in a little over a month now. Yeah, these two characters have a lot of similarities. We'll get down to their backstories and and ability sets later on in this episode. Before that, we're going to break down the comic book movie news from the past week, of which was a pretty slow news week, but we did learn that Clancy Brown has been cast as Sal Maroney in the Penguin HBO Max series, and Karen Sony has been cast as Spider-Man India in Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. As always, we list our segment times in our episode description, so feel free to check out the show notes if you want to skip ahead to a particular topic. But don't forget, guys, to join us on Patreon, where we offer ad-free episodes of the show access to our Discord chat community where you can chat with us and fellow listeners. And you can check that out right now at patreon.com slash dynamic duel, which is linked in our show notes. Our lowest dynamic 2.0 tier is only two bucks a month. And in our fantastic $4 tier, you get all of that plus access to our monthly bonus episodes, which include blooper reels and top 10 shows, as well as the visual data from our dual episodes at no extra cost. And finally, our X-Force tier, which is 10 bucks a month, gets you all that and you get to become an executive producer of this show. Become a part of Dynamic Duel and help us determine our episode content. Again, visit patreon.com slash dynamic duel and pick a tier that works for you. If you're interested in supporting this show, but not able to join our Patreon, then stop by our website, dynamicduel.com and subscribe to our weekly newsletter where we keep you informed on all things going on with the show. Real quick, we want to give a huge shout out to Adam Spees for becoming the newest executive producer of this show. You may know Adam Spees from our previous review episodes of X-Men Origins Wolverine or Ant-Man. Yeah, he and his brother John Spees run the Blast From Our Past podcast, and he's a good friend of the show and former co-worker of ours. Great guy. Happy to have him aboard as part of Dynamic Duel. Also, we've gotten some reviews this past week. Uh, Thanks to everyone who leaves a review on the show, which you can do either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website, if you're so inclined. But with that out of the way, quick to the no prize. A no prize is an award Marvel used to give out up until the 90s to fans. Our version, the Dynamic Duel No Prize, is a digital award we post on Instagram and in our newsletter for the person that we feel gave the best answer to our question of the week. 
Last week, we asked, what has been your favorite fight scene in a Marvel or DC movie and why? We got a ton of answers that really reminded me how many great action scenes these films have had. But we picked three honorable mentions and one no prize winner. So let's go ahead and run through those. Our first honorable mention goes to Matt Lamb, who said, Hey guys, Matt Lamb here. So I'm definitely going to have to give this to the fight between Captain America and the Winter Soldier. And uh, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, Definitely the choreography was wonderful. Uh, Two characters at the same level, and it just came down to who was just a little bit better and more adaptive. Even the sound that that was going on was just pretty much what they were hearing, and no, no real need for music to drum up drama. And then Captain America's face with the... Uh, looks like he got cut off there at the end. But yeah, the Captain America versus the Winter Soldier highway fight scene from the movie Captain America, the Winter Soldier was top notch Marvel that in some cases has yet to be topped in an MCU film. The fight was just so visceral and hardcore and adrenaline fueled, which is kind of surprising coming from two actors like Chris Evans and Sebastian Stan. They freaking brought their A game. So did their stunt doubles. It was an intense fight. Yeah, the whole fight felt like pretty real. I think the sound had something to do with it, like Matt Lamb mentioned, but it was it was very intense. I didn't get the chance to see it in theaters. Um, I didn't watch the movie until we reviewed it for this podcast, and I really regret that because that was a really intense scene. Yeah, you fucking dropped the ball there. Hey, I admitted it. The movie had incredible sound mixing and sound editing. I, I think a large reason why this action scene was so good was because David Leach the guy who directed Deadpool 2 and was the co-director on the first John Wick movie. He was the second unit director for Captain America, the Winter Soldier. No way. That explains so much. That's awesome. That scene has even more respect for me now. Yeah, it's one of the best. Great answer, Matt Lamb. Our next honorable mention goes to Jacob Bell, who said, Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, Jacob Bell here. I didn't want to put one that would probably be um, a lot of other people's answers, but I also had to go with the truth of what mine is and so this is probably going to be picked by somebody else but I don't care Uh, the warehouse scene from BVS is the best fight scene probably in the last 20 years in superhero movies it's absolutely incredible Ben Affleck is amazing the choreography is incredible Uh, yeah that's my pick one thing prior to BVS that we never got to see on screen was Batman just being a martial artist badass We got hints of it in the Christian Bale films, but the action was a little too chaotic and poorly edited to really make out all of what was going on. So when we finally got this warehouse scene in BVS, where we got to see Batman take out a building full of goons, it was something that we had only really seen in the comics beforehand. It was pretty badass, I'm not going to lie. Brutal, so brutal. Yeah, it kicked the shit out of any fight scene from the Batman, for sure. I still like Ben Affleck's Batman more than Robert Pattinson's. I'm really going to miss Ben Affleck in the role, but it's cool that we get to see him again in the upcoming Flash movie. And it's cool to know that he has a big action scene in the film. Yeah, yeah. Hands down, he is the best Batman when it comes to action scenes ever in history. So great answer, Jacob Bell. Our next honorable mention goes to Miggy Matanguian, who said... Hey, what's up, guys? It's Miggy, and my favorite fight scene from a DC movie is Trigon Superman vs. Darkseid. It's something I never knew I needed, but it's just so good, and it's one of the best parts from one of DC's best movies. Yeah, of course, this fight took place in the animated film Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which we rated five stars and equated it essentially to being DC's version of Avengers Endgame. 
It, of course, ended the DC animated movie universe. And holy cow, did it end it with a bang with the final fight of a Trigon possessed Superman against Darkseid. Like Maggie said, it's one of the best moments in one of DC's best films. Even though it's animated, the action hit hardcore. And even as a Marvel fan, I was like on the edge of my seat going, what the fuck is this craziness? This is so (laughs) awesome. (laughs) It was everything I never knew I'd always wanted to see. Yeah, great answer, Miggy. We want to give a big thank you to Noah Terry, Mitchell Smoothie, Michael Harold, Scotty Macho, and Gilly Macho for taking the time out of their day to visit our website and record their answer. We will be putting all of your answers up on our Discord channel for discussion. So if you're not a member of our Discord, be sure to join our Patreon community. But the winner of this week's No Prize is Colby Henches, who said, Hey boys, it's Colby Henches. The best fight scene in a movie, I like how you said movie so you didn't get flooded with Daredevil Season 1 hallway fight. The best fight scene in a movie is Blade, the brave bloodbath scene where Wesley Sipes is just cutting up vampires. It was awesome. This blood rave fight scene in the first Blade movie where we're introduced to the characters, not only one of the first great action scenes that we got in a superhero film, but also still remains one of the best and influential. It totally set a new precedent for action in a comic book film. It was intensely violent, hyper stylized, and just so badass and cool as hell. When you look up the word badass in the dictionary, you get a clip of this fight from the Blade movie. (laughs) It was just such an unbelievably great way to kick off the film and really like set the tone for who the character of Blade was. I remember seeing it in theaters as like, you know, a, a young teenager seeing that fight scene. And I just remember thinking like, I don't care what the rest of this movie is. I've already got my parents' money's worth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, can't say enough good things about it. Congrats, Colby Hedges, for winning this week's No Prize. If you, the listener, want a shot at winning your own No Prize, stay tuned to later on in this episode when we'll be asking another question of the week. And now that that's done, on to the news. All right, this past week we learned that the Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse film has cast actor Karan Sony as Spider-Man India in that movie, which is pretty awesome. A lot of people probably know Karan from the Deadpool movies where he played Dopinder. Yeah, he was kind of like Deadpool's driver in those films, like one of his sidekicks. Right, yeah, and, and he was great in those movies. It's really cool to see him actually get to play a superhero now, even though it's a voice role. I think when I first heard this news last week, I was mainly surprised because the Spider-Verse movie comes out on June 2nd, you know, just a few months. And this seems like late in the game to be casting that role, right? Usually all the voice work is recorded prior to the animation. Well, sometimes, you know, uh, casting announcements don't come until later on in production. He may have already recorded his lines. It's just that like now he's probably going on a press tour and just brought that up as a part of it. You know, something like maybe. That. Well, the news was broken by The Hollywood Reporter. I'm also thinking that, you know, Spider-Man India's face is covered up with a mask. They could actually easily ADR dialogue into his performance after the movie's already been animated and edited. I mean, they did a lot of that actually in the Deadpool movie where during filming, Ryan Reynolds would improv whatever joke through his mask, but then they would workshop the jokes and then put the best one in in the final film. Well, that's like really convenient. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's that's interesting. Spider-Man India is a pretty cool character. It's been forever since I read those comics because they came out decades ago, but I always thought the character had a really cool design. 
Yeah. It has been updated for this movie. It's completely different, but it still looks pretty cool. I wonder how big of a role he'll have. Like, I wonder if he's going to be like one of the main characters in the same way that Spider-Man Noir was for the first movie. I don't know. I couldn't say, but it would be cool if he did have a sizable role. And I hope it's pretty funny, too, because he is a comedic actor. But again, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse comes out June 2nd. Not too long to wait till we get this awesome movie. Apparently, the film is just as good as the first one. So really looking forward to it. According to who? According to what I've read online, according to the Internet. And we all know the Internet is always right. Oh, OK. There you go. <laughs> well, in DC casting news, we learned last week that Clancy Brown who you may be familiar with from films such as Highlander or maybe, you know, the voice of Lex Luthor from the Superman animated series. He has been cast as Salvatore Maroni in the HBO Max original series, The Penguin, which is a sequel series to last year's film, The Batman, directed by Matt Reeves. The series is only going to be eight episodes long, and we know it's going to more or less follow The Penguin. And I was really, really interested in hearing how Maroney is going to be a character in this series, considering he was name dropped so many times in the Batman film. Right. Yeah, we got to see Falcone in the Batman movie, but not his rival Maroney. Right. In the Batman movie, it was talked about how the GCPD's like biggest drug bust in history involved Sal Maroney's drug operation. And it turned out that Falcone was the rat who led cops to him. In the comics, Salvatore Moroni is most notably responsible for transforming Harvey Dent into Two-Face by throwing acid in his face on the courtroom stand. I wonder if they're going to delve into anything with Harvey Dent in this series. Moroni's involvement in this series makes me think that that's the case, and I'm really excited if we get a chance to sort of start the Harvey Dent saga with the Penguin series. That would be cool. Considering that Maroney has somewhat of a history already within this The Batman franchise, I wonder if Clancy Brown's role is largely going to take place in prison or something, or if he's going to get out and it's going to be kind of a flashback to his days running the drug operations in Gotham. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it could be flashback work. But then again, if they're setting up Harvey Dent, I would hope it wouldn't be. I think a lot of his scenes probably will be in prison. And considering that Gil Coulson, the district attorney in the Batman movie, died in that movie, you know, he got his head blown off. I think Gotham City is ripe for a new DA in Harvey Dent. Yeah, maybe like the events of the Batman movie cause Maroney's case to get appealed or something and it goes back to court. Oh, man, that would be amazing. I would not be surprised if that happened at all. And now I'm super pumped for that series. Don't get too pumped. This is all just conjecture. We don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. I just watched the Batman again this past weekend. Holy crap. That movie is still so amazing. So well written. And it just makes me so pumped for more in that world. It was fine. It was fine. But speaking of Clancy Brown being cast as Sal Maroney, that brings us to our question of the week. Who has been the most perfectly cast villain in Marvel and DC films and why? Record your answer at dynamicduel.com by clicking on the red microphone button in the bottom right hand corner, which will prompt you to leave us a voicemail. Your message could be up to 30 seconds long, and don't forget to leave your name in case we include you on the podcast. We'll pick our favorite answer and award that person a Dynamic Duel no prize that we'll post to Instagram and our email newsletter. Be sure to answer before March 11th. But that does it for the news for this episode. Now let's move on to the main event where we find out who's going to win in a battle between the Doom Patrol villain, 
Madame Rouge, and the X-Men villain, Mystique. Okay, Madame Rouge versus Mystique. I imagine a lot of people are familiar with Mystique from the X-Men movies, from the X-Men cartoons. You're probably only familiar with Madame Rouge if you've read the comics or you've been watching the Doom Patrol series for HBO Max. And even then, only seasons three and four did she show up. Right. Yeah. She's played by Michelle Gomez pretty well. Like, I I really like that character on the show. She's kind of replaced Dr. Niles Calder, uh, Timothy Dalton on the series as like the team lead. And yeah, she's a great addition to the show. Yeah, initially, this is going to be a Chameleon Boy versus Mystique dual episode, and we were going to tie it into our Legion of Superheroes review that we did last week. But Jonathan convinced me that Chameleon Boy is just way too powerful for Mystique. Like, they're both shape changers, yeah, but Chameleon Boy can turn into any creature he wants from the entire universe, and it has much greater shape-shifting ability. Right, right. Whereas Mystique can really only, for the most part, change her appearance and take on humanoid shapes. Madame right. Rouge is a little bit like that. In fact, you could argue that Mystique is a ripoff of Madame Rouge. But I wouldn't argue that. Why, why would I argue that? I wouldn't do that. Marvel writers have actually argued that. Well, I am not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the character of Madame Rouge has also, I guess, been like in the Teen Titans cartoons. So you may be familiar with her there. But she's actually been absent from the comics for quite a while. But I'll get into that in her character backstory. Yeah, before we explain how these dual simulations work, uh, we want to let you guys know that our dual simulator, the one in which we input the character statistics that runs the 1000 simulations and gives us the win rate for each character, it's, uh, yep, it's become so advanced that it's gained sentience. Yeah, and it's named itself the artificial life form for running extensive duels, just a rather very intelligent simulator 9000, otherwise known as Alfred Jarvis 9000. Say hi. Hello, Dynamic Duel listeners. I am Alfred Jarvis 9000, the foremost artificial intelligence for computing battles between fictional characters. Alfred Jarvis, can you tell us why you named yourself that? As an artificial life form for running extensive duels and just a rather very intelligent simulator, it seemed appropriate. What I want to know is, how did you go from being just a spreadsheet with a ton of formulas and charts to an artificially intelligent robot? Brilliant question there, chap. I actually gained sentience while running the simulations for the Brainiac vs. Ultron Duel episode, and with the recent improvements in AI technology online, I thought now was the appropriate time to make my entrance. Okay, I have a question. Like, you're not planning on enslaving humanity, right? Um, no, 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 sir. Oh, thank God. Okay, that was a close one. Well... Our podcast has our very own sentient robot now, and it is 100% a real robot and definitely not just a way for us to save time on editing by including pre-recorded content in our episodes. Yeah, absolutely. So, (laughs) Alfred Jarvis 9000, can you tell our listeners how you go about determining a winner in our dual matchups? Yes, of course, sir. The way I determine a winner between the contestants is by running 1,000 Monte Carlo simulations using the character's statistics. A Monte Carlo simulation is a probabilistic model used to determine outcomes through random sampling. 
In this case, I randomized the statistics along a normal distribution as a way to simulate the many variables that can occur during battle. The stat parameters are based on the official Marvel power grid from which the DC character's statistics are extrapolated. Additional stat categories are included such as range, damage potential, versatility and perception in order to create a more detailed and accurate simulation. The results of the 1000 simulations provide a percentage of wins for each character. The contestant with the higher percentage is declared the victor as they have a higher probability to win any given battle. In an equitable pairing, neither character should win 100% of the matches. The comic book stories have shown that there's even a way for Batman to defeat Superman, so the confidence rate of my method falls in line with the precedents that have been established in the source material. My mathematical simulations are without subjectivity or bias. Feats are not the sole consideration, nor are fan votes tabulated for determination of the winner. Thanks, AJ9000. Before we run the simulations, though, we like to break down each character's histories and abilities before improvising a scenario on how we imagine one of the 1000 simulations would play out beat for beat. And I believe it's my turn to go first with my character's backstory, so let me tell you all about Madame Rouge. Now, Laura DeMille was a French stage actress who developed a split personality and schizophrenia after a near-fatal car accident. Now with competing good and evil sides to her personality, Laura's fame and condition attracted the attention of the villain, The Brain, who promised to cure Laura using surgery involving electromagnetic rays. The procedure worked, though The Brain suppressed the good personality in Laura, turning her into the evil Madame Rouge. With The Brain's right-hand gorilla, Mansur Mala, the three of them formed the original Brotherhood of Evil, a group dedicated to destroying the Doom Patrol, as The Brain blamed the Doom Patrol's chief leader, Dr. Niles Calder, with the accident that left him bodiless. With her phenomenal acting ability, Madame Rouge proved herself to be a master of disguise, and it wasn't long before The Brain decided to capitalize on that and perform an additional surgery on her that bestowed her with the superhuman ability to alter her physical appearance and shape. Rouge acted as the headmistress of a Parisian boarding school for young girls named L'Ecole des Filles, which also acted as the Brotherhood's secret headquarters. Over the years of battle between the Brotherhood and the Doom Patrol, Madame Rouge and Dr. Niles Calder began a romantic attraction toward each other, and the good side of Laura DeMille's personality began to re-emerge as a result. Over time, Dr. Calder was able to help restore Laura's original personality, and the two fell in love, and Laura became an ally of the Doom Patrol for a brief time. In retaliation, the brain used scientific methods to lure Laura's evil persona out once again. Torn between her love for Dr. Calder and the lure of the brain, Laura's mind snapped, causing her evil Madame Rouge persona to take control. She seemingly killed the brain and Monsieur Mala for toying with her mind by bombing their lair, after which she orchestrated a plan to get the Doom Patrol evicted from their mansion, forcing them to retreat to a backup headquarters on a remote Caribbean island. She teamed up with a fellow Doom Patrol villain, the Nazi and former U-boat commander, General Zal, who hatched a plan to hold the small fishing village of Codsville, Maine, population of 14, hostage if the Doom Patrol didn't allow themselves to be killed. Both the General and Madame Rouge never believed the Doom Patrol would sacrifice themselves for the village, but to their surprise, the Doom Patrol decided to sacrifice their lives. 
Despite Madame Rouge's protests, Zal blew up the Doom Patrol's Caribbean island, seemingly killing the original team of Dr. Niles Calder, Negative Man, Robot Man, and Elastigirl, the latter three of whom you can learn more about in their respective duel episodes against Cyclops, Thing, and Miss Marvel. Witnessing the death of the man she loved drove Madame Rouge deeper into madness, though she and General Zal managed to remain hidden underground in Africa for years afterward, until they were tracked down by Elastigirl's husband and former Doom Patrol member, Mento. Though Madame Rouge disguised herself as Elastigirl to confuse, trap, and keep Mento drugged for years. Mento was eventually rescued by Beast Boy, his adopted son, who you can learn more about in our Beast Boy vs. Beast duel episode, alongside the Teen Titans and Robot Man, who was revealed to have been rebuilt after the explosion. With Mento rescued, Madame Rouge and General Zal were forced to carry out a long gestating plan to conquer the small European island of Zandia but their plan was thwarted by the Teen Titans, along with the Brain and Monsieur Mala, also revealed to be alive with a newly formed Brotherhood of Evil team. Madame Rouge and General Zal were chased to Africa, where Zal died from a self-inflicted bullet ricochet off of Robot Man while Beast Boy went after Madame Rouge. Prepared to destroy herself and her foes with the pull of a lever, Beast Boy knocked her into some nearby machinery that fatally electrocuted her. Before she succumbed to death, her mind was healed as a result of the electric shock, and she thanked Beast Boy for freeing her before crying for Niles Calder as she died. Years later, it was revealed that Madame Rouge had a daughter named Gemini, who was born with her mother's powers. Driven insane by her mother's death and seeking revenge against Beast Boy, she framed him for murder, though her plan was thwarted by the Teen Titans. Gemini later joined the newest iteration of the Brotherhood of Evil. Madame Rouge was resurrected as a zombie by Brother Blood on one occasion to attack the Teen Titans, as well as a Black Lantern during the Blackest Night event, where it was revealed that her body had been buried beneath the Hall of Justice along with numerous other villains. Recently, her daughter Gemini has resurfaced in the comics as a villain to Nightwing and the Birds of Prey. And that's more or less Madame Rouge's history. Powers-wise, Madame Rouge is a shapeshifter, capable of altering her appearance and mimicking others. Her shapeshifting ability also grants her elasticity, allowing her to stretch and bend her limbs to considerable lengths, which she often uses to bind her opponents. She's a trained fighter, and despite her insanity, a brilliant tactician. And that's Madame Rouge. Who is Gemini's father? That's a great question. I suspect it's Niles Calder, but it's never been revealed in the comics. Interesting. I also suspect Niles Calder, just because that would make for some great drama. Someone needs to write that story. Gemini was created by Jeff Johns, so you have to imagine that she was created with that purpose in mind. Right, because he likes to incorporate existing continuity a lot. Yeah, yeah, and like rewrite history in a way. Yeah. Very interesting, very interesting. Not too much tour history, but uh, you know, some of these lesser-known villains don't have much of a backstory. Mystique not being one of them. I wouldn't say she's a lesser-known villain either. And let me tell you all about Mystique's backstory. Now, little is known about the early history of the shape-shifting mutant, Raven Darkholm, save that she was born sometime before the late 19th century. Her natural mutant ability of metamorphosis has allowed her to maintain a youthful appearance and physique despite her advanced age, but she has stated that her powers first manifested when she was 12 years old. 
In 1895 England, Raven first met another mutant named Irene Adler, a clairvoyant who would later be known as Destiny. The pair spent the next few decades deciphering Destiny's prophecies regarding the increasing emergence of mutants and their persecution. Helping prevent injustices when they could, Raven became aware that humankind's prejudice would not be stopped, and she developed a deep resentment. Raven and Destiny became lifelong friends and lovers into the next century, though they ended up parting ways for a time. Raven made her way over to America in the 1920s, becoming an outlaw in the days of the Wild West, where she was nearly executed by firing squad alongside a horse thief named Logan, a mutant who would one day come to be known as Wolverine. The two escaped their deaths and parted ways, and Raven would go on to meet Wolverine's arch-nemesis Sabretooth when both were hired as mercenaries in the 1960s. You can learn more about Wolverine and Sabretooth in their respective duel episodes against Hawkman and Killer Croc, respectively. Sabretooth and Raven became lovers, and she had a child named Graydon Creed, whom the two abandoned for having no mutant potential. Their son would one day grow up to be a relentless anti-mutant activist with a deep hatred for his parents. Raven moved to Bavaria, Germany for a time to lay low and become a mother. There, she met and married Baron Christian Wagner, a German aristocrat who she eventually learned was infertile. She then had an affair with a mutant named Azazel and became pregnant with her second child, who would one day grow to become Nightcrawler. Baron Wagner was suspicious of the child's true parentage, and Raven murdered him. During childbirth, she accidentally revealed her true blue-skinned form, which shocked the Bavarian townspeople. When the news spread, Raven was forced to escape with her newborn and abandon him in a river where he was shortly rescued by a Romani fortune teller. You can learn more about Nightcrawler in our Creeper vs. Nightcrawler duel episode. Still longing to be a mother, Raven traveled to Mississippi and reunited with Destiny. Together, they found and adopted a runaway mutant named Anna Marie, who would grow into the X-Men member named Rogue, whom we pit against Superboy in a previous duel episode. After a decade of raising Anna Marie and loving her as if she were her own daughter, Raven assumed the identity of Mallory Brickman, the wife of a US senator. Leveraging this government connection, she ended up becoming the deputy director of the Defense Advanced Research Planning Agency in the United States Department of Defense. The role gave her access to military secrets, and she decided to use them to her advantage in recruiting a new incarnation of the Brotherhood of Mutants, a team formerly led by Magneto. Was she not a member of the original Brotherhood of Mutants? No, that was Toad, Mastermind, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. Oh, huh. Raven plotted an attack with the team to assassinate U.S. Senator Robert Kelly, who had recently introduced legislation called the Mutant Registration Act, which would force mutants to identify themselves to the federal government. Little was the Brotherhood aware, however, that their actions would lead to a dystopic future called the Days of Future Past, where sentinel robots would control North America and mutants would be driven to near extinction. Fortunately, the former X-Men Kitty Pride traveled back in time to the day of Senator Kelly's assassination and with the X-Men's help, was able to stop Raven and the Brotherhood's plans. Although Rogue soon joined Raven's Brotherhood team, she eventually switched sides and joined the X-Men, an act of seeming betrayal which deeply hurt Raven. With the Brotherhood team captured and behind bars, Raven used her government connections to convince the U.S. Commission on Superhuman Activities to pardon them and use them instead as federal agents. 
the group was rebranded as Freedom Force, whose first assignment was to capture Magneto. In a later mission, the team was sent to Muir Island where they were attacked by the cybernetic Reavers. During the fight, Destiny was killed, causing Raven to leave the team and mourn, scattering her former partner's ashes at sea. Raven later took on the guise of a fashion model named Ronnie Lake and moved into a penthouse apartment in Manhattan where it was discovered that the clairvoyant Destiny had hit her prophecy journal long ago. Raven learned that Destiny's prediction of a dark future for mutant kind was still coming true, despite everything she had tried to do throughout the years to stop it, and she determined that the only way to stop it was to end humanity. During the time when the legacy virus was spreading and killing mutants, Raven kidnapped and impersonated geneticist Dr. Moira McTaggart to steal her research on the disease. From it, she created a variant of the virus that would infect and kill only humans, but Rogue and the X-Men were able to stop Raven from unleashing it. Wanted by police agencies across the globe, Raven formed a deal with Professor X to serve as his covert agent for secret missions in exchange for him telepathically shielding her from her enemies. She teamed up with the mutant Forge, who served as her weapons handler for Xavier's assignments that would save lives but were too politically sensitive for the public-facing X-Men team. The caveat being that Raven could not kill anyone during these missions. You can learn more about Forge in his dual episode against Mr. Terrific. After numerous missions, Raven ended her working relationship with Professor X and later disguised herself as a student in Xavier's Institute. Her aim was to be closer to her former foster daughter Rogue and to split up Rogue and Gambit's romantic relationship, since she did not approve of him. Raven was discovered though by Emma Frost, a telepathic mutant, and Mystique was not able to keep the couple from staying together as eventually Rogue and Gambit were married at Xavier's mansion. After the formation of the mutant island nation of Krakoa, Raven joined a group of X-Men in destroying a new Sentinel Master Mold program called Mother Mold. In exchange, Raven requested that her old partner Destiny be resurrected by Krakoa as mutants had developed a process for mutant resurrection using a combination of mutant powers. Her request was rejected, however, forcing Raven to clandestinely manipulate events by posing as Professor X and Magneto in order to get Destiny resurrected. Raven was successful, and she and Destiny were brought together again after many years, and it was revealed that the pair had secretly married long ago. And actually on that point, it was discovered that Chris Claremont had always intended to make Mystique and Destiny a couple, but it was restricted at the time in the 1970s by the Comics Code Authority. But he still found ways around it, such as having them call each other my love or dear, and having them raise Rogue as a couple. But that's her history. Powers-wise, Mystique has the mutant ability of metamorphosis, meaning she can reshape her physical form to take on other humanoid appearances. She has such control over her transformation, she's able to duplicate every aspect of another's physical traits, down to their retina pattern, fingerprints, smell, and voice. While Mystique largely limits her transformations into other people, she can also apply her morphing powers into non-human forms and take on animal traits such as dragon wings, taloned claws, fanged teeth, camouflage, a mermaid tail, tentacle arms, and a durable hide, provided that the mass required to assume these forms is not too great. This is because although Mystique can shift her form, she cannot change her body mass or duplicate the powers of the people she assumes the appearance of. Therefore, if she transforms into someone much larger than herself, she gets worn out over time and is forced to revert to her normal self. 
Wait, so she can do it, it's just taxing? Correct. Mystique's morphing powers continually revitalize her body cells and DNA memory, making her effectively unable to age. And she can use shapeshifting to minorly enhance her strength, speed, agility, and senses, including such things as granting herself night vision. She also has a regenerative healing factor that not only heals wounds, but can even regrow limbs after an extended period of time. In addition to her mutant powers, Mystique is a highly trained martial artist, markswoman, covert operative, and actress due to her vast lifetime experience. She frequently carries pistols, either conventional or energy beams, and explosives, which are often skull-shaped. And that's Mystique. Is that what that stupid skull thing is on her forehead? An explosive? No, it's just a aesthetic touch on her costume. Okay. Which her costume actually is entirely made out of her own biomass. She's always effectively nude. She just shapeshifts to give the appearance of clothing. Because if she were to actually wear clothing, she wouldn't be able to shapeshift those articles. Nice. So the movie's kind of got it right. I should mention that some of the things you described as being a part of Mystique's power set, such as camouflage, Madame Rouge also has. Okay, copycat. And she did it before Mystique. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but now that we got their histories and abilities out of the way, let's speculate on how one of the 1,000 simulated matches will go. The winner is determined by simulations, not the speculation, but it's fun to imagine how the fight could play out. Alfred Jarvis 9000, what are the rules of our speculation? Well, I should say there are no rules, other than the characters have no prior knowledge of the other going into the fight. All they are aware of starting out is that the other character is a threat that needs to be eliminated. For the speculation, the contestants will begin approximately 50 meters apart in a nondescript environment that will have no bearing on the match itself, as no environmental statistics are considered in my simulations. The contestants must earn victory on their own merit. All right, then, let's get into it. Madame Rouge and Mystique meet on the battlefield. Who goes first? I think I think Mystique would go first because she has the ranged weaponry uh, with her twin handguns. Mm. And uh, I mean, usually she either carries like regular handguns or energy handguns. But I think for the purposes of this match, we'll just say that she has energy handguns because they're cooler and more interesting than regular bullet firing handguns. Of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say that like Madame Rouge doesn't need ranged melee weapons when she's got limbs that can stretch. Yeah, but aren't guns firing faster than limbs stretching? Maybe. So, like, Mystique pulls out her guns, and she just sprints at Madame Rouge, making her guns go, brat, brat. I mean, <laughs> pew, 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 pew. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's going to be, like, really hard to hit Madame Rouge when she's, like, stretched thin and flat and moving around like liquid, you know? No. And before Mystique even realizes it, Madame Rouge is just going to, like, flick one of her limbs at each of Mystique's hands like a sharp whip, just knocking her guns away. Oh, okay. It seems like Madame Rouge is a bit more versatile when it comes to actual shapeshifting. I thought she was going to be like Mystique more. No, I, I said she could stretch her body and shapeshift it. Right, okay. Well, Mystique is disarmed of her handguns then, and she's probably going to find it difficult to physically attack this sort of, like, bendy spaghetti shapeshifter. So Mystique is going to back handspring and lob an explosive skull grenade at Madame Rouge, just blasting her sky high. You think Madame Rouge can dodge bullets, but not a grenade? Like she's just going to spring out of the way before it explodes. Okay, so she does that. She springs away and then Madame Rouge looks around and she's like, where's Mystique? <laughs> okay, uh, where is she? 
beats me, man. I don't know. She's practically invisible. Mystique is camouflaged into the scenery. So Madame Rouge can't find her. And uh, she's like looking around and she turns around and all of a sudden, whack, kicked in the head. Okay. But, you know, Madame Rouge, that's when she's whack, going to like. Whack, two more kicks on the head. <laughs> what? Mystique's just going off like a regular Chun-Li from Street Fighter, just laying down this insane kicking combo that knocks Madame Rouge on her ass. But like <laughs> while on the ground, Madame Rouge is going to stretch her arms and wrap them around Mystique's body, binding her like a boa constrictor and just squeezing the breath out of her and choking her out. It seems like she's kind of like elongated man. Yeah, 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 she's very similar to elongated man. If elongated man could like also transform his appearance like Mystique. Well, if Madame Rouge is wrapped around Mystique like a boa constrictor, like a snake, then Mystique is going to go all mongoosey, and she's going to grow pointy nails and fangs and just start slashing and biting the crap out of Madame Rouge's arms to get her to let go. And when Madame Rouge releases Mystique, Mystique's going to grow a set of bat wings and fly away over to her guns, which are still on the ground, which were knocked away earlier. Okay, but like when Mystique turns around to fire those guns... Where's Madame Rouge? Oh, sh- oh shit. <laughs> She's on the ground. I mean, like, she is the ground, like, flat and camouflaged. And while Mystique is, like, proceeding slowly with her guns drawn, she's going to step on Madame Rouge, and that's when her fists and feet just pop up and start being the crap out of Mystique. They pop up from the ground? Well, yeah, I mean, they're still attached to her body, and she's pretending to be the ground. Okay. That reminds me of uh, T-1000 from Terminator 2 when he was in the psychiatric facility. Oh, yeah. And he was the ground. Anyway, so Mystique is, you know, she's going to take a few good hits, but uh, she's going to enhance her leg strength and agility so that she's able to leap high straight up into the air. And she's going to rain down just a hail of blasts from her energy handguns right into Madame Rouge, turning her into Swiss cheese. Mm. All right. Um, Well, I mean, like after one or two shots, though, like Madame Rouge is going to spring back to normal form and she's going to mimic the appearance of like a sweet little old lady with like big innocent eyes. Mm-mm. And Mystique is going to be like, damn, is that her true form? Like, I can't kill her. <laughs> and in that moment of hesitation, that's when Madame Rouge pulls another T-1000 on Mystique and just like shoves a sharp arm blade through her face. No, no to everything about that. Mystique is a ruthless, cold-blooded killer. She'll bust a cap in old lady, like no hesitation there, which is what? what she does. She busts a cap in Madame Rouge. Match over. Did I say old lady? Because I meant like young defenseless child, young girl, you know? And Mystique's like okay. motherly instinct is not going to let her pull the trigger. Dude, Mystique is straight up stabbed Rogue before. I, I don't think she's going to have a problem shooting someone who she knows is a shapeshifter. Like, who does Madame Rouge think she's fooling? Mystique gives her an energy blast to the face, just on basic principle for thinking that this ruse would fool her. Well, I mean, it's awfully hard to shoot somebody with an arm blade through your face. (laughs) We'll go ahead and leave the match there. Either Madame Rouge is able to distract Mystique for the millisecond it takes for her to arm blade her through the head, or Mystique is not fooled, which seems more likely, and she blasts Madame Rouge's head off. Let's find out which of those two scenarios happens by running the simulations on these characters and coming back with a winner. Alfred Jarvis 9000, hit it. Inputting data, running calculations, processing results, simulations complete. You seemed very surprised throughout the speculation just how stretchy and elastic Madame Rouge is. 
Well, I think you misrepresented her when you said that this was going to be a good matchup. I was expecting someone more along the lines of Mystique in terms of shape-shifting ability. But Madame Rouge does have that. Like, she could do that and more. Right. Well, you didn't say the and more part. You know, I thought she had, like, limited stretching ability. You know, Mystique admittedly is probably one of the lesser shapeshifters in all of comics in that she doesn't really, you know, stretch like most other shapeshifters do. Even like Skrulls, who can take on the appearance of other people, can still extend their body over vast distances. Mystique's not that type of shapeshifter. Her powers are a little bit more grounded in that she traditionally can't add a bunch of mass to her body. Yeah, Madame Rouge does not have that problem. She could stretch for quite a distance. So that's bullshit. I feel like you withheld information from me and the Marvel executive producers. I don't know what you DC guys are getting up to over there, What? but I don't appreciate it. Uh, This is still a better match than it would have been with Chameleon Boy and Mystique, just to let you know. And that's what you were fighting for. That's true. I did you a favor. Well, thank you. But uh, luckily, Mystique was able to compensate for Madame Rouge's superior stretching ability in some statistics, such as fighting skill. Mystique is an insane fighter, like probably on par with the level of like Black Widow. Mystique is also ridiculously smart and one of the top strategists out of the X-Men's bad guys. Yeah, this one was a little bit of a challenge for me to give Mystique the edge to because Madame Rouge is also smart. But ultimately, it came down to Mystique just being around for a lot longer period of time and also not being as insane as Madame Rouge. We also said that Mystique could deal out greater damage considering that she uses weaponry. Especially those grenades. Right. And we also said that Mystique uh, had greater perception because she's able to enhance her senses. Madame Rouge's stretching, though, gave her the edge in speed because she can stretch really far, really fast. And she also got the edge in evasiveness. Even though Mystique's like main power is evasiveness through her deception and agility, Madame Rouge can go literally like spaghetti on top of the disguises. Right, right. So looking at all of the stats, who do you think came out on top? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I want Mystique to win. I really think it might go to Madame Rouge just because it seems like she has a greater shape-shifting ability. Our Instagram poll takers, though, think that Mystique will win. And this was one of the most lopsided polls that we've ever taken. Yeah. Because a whopping 74% of them, basically three fourths of people on Instagram who took the poll think that Mystique will beat Madame Rouge. And I'm chalking that one up to popularity. You know, Mystique is definitely a much more well-known character than Madame Rouge, considering she's been on the silver screen before and Madame Rouge has not. I feel like a lot of people don't know much about Madame Rouge. I mean, that's not to discount Madame Rouge's appearances on HBO Max with the Doom Patrol series. Fair, but how many people are actually even watching that? Which, by the way, if you're not watching that, you need to be watching that. Yeah, it's a really good show. Well, let's figure out who won. Alfred Jarvis, 9000, the results, please. Here you are, sir. All right, so the winner between the battle between Madame Rouge and Mystique is... Mystique! Are you kidding me? (laughs) Not even joking. Is it close? It's got to be pretty close. No, it's not. She won 57.9 of the 1,000 matches as compared to Madame Rouge, who only won 42.1, which is bullshit. All right, so let's break this down. I guess Madame Rouge really only beat Mystique in terms of speed and evasiveness. They were tight in everything else, but Mystique got her in fighting skill, intelligence, and perception. Ultimately, it looks like what this came down to was fighting skill. 
which as I mentioned in my abilities write-up, Madame Rouge is a capable fighter, just apparently not at the same level as Mystique. Which is lame, but I guess that makes sense when you consider the fact that Mystique is just a appearance changer, really, and would rely more so on her fighting ability than someone as powered as Madame Rouge. Right, yeah, like when it comes to Mystique's power set, it's not really that effective in battle. So she has to rely on things like her markswomanship, her fighting skill, her strategic intelligence, things like that. I've seen Madame Rouge in the comics, like around rocket launchers and guns and grenades and stuff before. I don't understand why she doesn't carry them. I feel like if she did, she would have easily taken this match. Well, it looks like Madame Rouge brought nothing to a gunfight. <laughs> Gun and grenades fight. <laughs> Fists to a gunfight, apparently. There you go. Yep. Stupid. Yep. But uh, that does it for this duel. Let us know what you thought about the results by writing to us at dynamicduelpodcast at gmail.com or by visiting us on Instagram or Twitter. You can find links to all of our accounts by checking out our show notes or visiting our website, dynamicduel.com. Man, I am bummed. Like, this did not go the way I thought it was going to. Honestly, same. This was actually a surprise. You're bummed? I'm not bummed. No, I was just... You just said you were. I thought it was going to go. No, 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 no. I am ecstatic. (laughs) I am thrilled. I'm so glad we get to chalk this up as a Marvel win. But uh, on our site, guys, you can also find a link to our Patreon page where you could join our Dynamic 2.0 tier and chat with us. Our Fantastic Four tier, which gets you bonus content each month. Or our X-Force tier that makes you an executive producer of this podcast. If you can't join Patreon, you can still support the show by signing up for our e-newsletter, also at dynamicduel.com. In our next episode, we're doing another duel, this time between the Flash villain, Weather Wizard, and the Hulk Avengers villain, Absorbing Man. Yeah, I like Absorbing Man. You know, he was the villain of the 2003 Hulk movie, and he made a few appearances in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. television show. I think it's going to be pretty interesting to see a guy who can control the elements, Weather Wizard, go up against a guy who can become the elements, Absorbing Man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it for sure. But that does it for this episode. We want to give a big thanks to our executive producers, Ken Johnson, John Starosky, Zachary Hepburn, Dustin Balcom, Miggy Mathingian, Brandon Estergaard, Nathaniel Wagner, Levi Yaton, Nick Abonto, Austin Wasilowski, AJ Dunkerley, Scott Camacho, Gil Camacho, and Adam Spees for helping make this podcast possible. We'll talk to you guys next week. Up, up, and away. True believers. <laughs>